0: Hi, my name is Mike Herpster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message.
1: Amen. Thank you. What a blessing to see a dad and his daughter ministering with mom on the piano. Of course, very... If uh, you've been around the Herbsters at all, you know they're very talented musically, but it's not about the talent. Yeah. It's about the reason why we minister with music. Yeah, that's right. You know, music is preparing our hearts for worship. You know, there's such a big movement across this land today that's uh, couched in what people consider worship. You know, worship is always to God. Worship isn't about us. Oh, it's us worshiping God. uh, But it is to and towards and for God. If we try to determine our spirituality or our church attendance or anything by how we feel about worship. No, it's is it worship that is acceptable unto God? We are going to give an account and an answer to Him. Uh, Is anybody here, we we left here... um, in, uh, well, the end of 2008, beginning of 2009. Is there anybody that was here for camp 2008 or before? Anybody, uh, we got a few in here. Uh, those uh, short folks in the back back there. I can't tell you what a, what a, what a thrill it is for us to be back. Uh, one, I said coming in a week ago is a little surreal, uh, coming back to Southland after being gone all those years. of course, uh, you know, it was such a, a big part of our lives and our family. We uh, reared, um, well, our youngest child was born here. Uh, well, not in Minden. I mean, not here, here but in Minden. And, uh, you know, we, have, we do have five dogs. My wife and I, the truth was, when I said hunting, we have been married 34 years. We just celebrated our 35th or 34th uh, wedding anniversary on Sunday, uh, March 1st. Uh, we were able to go down and spend a little bit of time down in Pensacola. Our daughter's in school down there, uh, daughter number four. Our eldest daughter, this is my wife, Melanie. Hello. Who's Dan? <laughs> 34 years. Yeah, and it's a, the reason a blessing for me is that my wife has very strong convictions against divorce. uh, uh but not nearly as strong a convictions against murder. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I just, I praise the Lord that uh, we've gone 34 years. And so as we're uh, we're here, we have our, our oldest daughter Jessica. Uh, Jessica and her husband Lance, uh, they live, uh, Lance is a, uh, a police officer there in Great Falls. Uh, they uh, live there near us out in the prairie of Montana. I, I said it was glad to be, we grew up in the Midwest, uh, me from Iowa, her from Wisconsin, I said I was glad to be back where there's a change of seasons, but if you've ever been to Montana, sometimes you get all four of them in the same day. And I was not expecting that, uh, but what a Joy it is to have our daughter Jessica there, our second daughter Jacqueline, uh, her and her husband. Uh, He's a captain in the Air Force. Uh, They live down in Cheyenne, Wyoming. He's one of the guys that goes down in the ground, uh, ready to push the button to launch nuclear missiles, if the president says to do it. And uh, they are down there expecting their first child, our first grandchild, uh, in September. I know, I've looked like a grandpa for a long time, and now the kids are (laughs) catching up to me. And uh, we're thrilled for that. Uh, Daughter number three, Josephine, uh, she just got married this past August. Uh, to her husband Jeff, uh, also in the Air Force, and they just uh, moved over to Offutt Air Force Base in uh, Omaha, Nebraska, and they're stationed there. She's an ICU nurse. Uh, Our fourth daughter, Julia, she's the one, uh, she's a biology major, uh, praying about, she'd like to be a veterinarian uh, someday, and she's down at Pensacola Christian College. Uh, Daughter number five, Jenna, uh, she's at home taking care of the 4-H animals and everybody else. Jenna is preparing to turn 16 uh, here in a couple weeks. Uh, Our fifth daughter, that... um, you know, f- folks always say, "Say, oh, you poor soul, you had five daughters, no sons. I said, well, you know, all I ever prayed for, oh, I didn't even really pray for the first two, as you'll hear in a little while, but I said, uh, <laughs> it was, uh, I, I had no idea. All I cared about was healthy kids. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for the, for the blessing of that. Uh, but our daughter, uh, when our kids, when our daughters turned 16, Uh, We have a special time, Proverbs 31 talks about the virtuous woman, Uh, her price is far above rubies, and so when our daughters turn 16, uh, we take them out, uh, my wife and I, uh, we have a special time with them, express to them the importance of purity. Uh, the importance of purity for a young lady, uh, the importance of purity in preparation for marriage. And uh, we give them a ruby ring uh, that they wear. And uh, then uh, when they do get married, then uh, I have a process for uh, taking that and uh, adding a ring on there. So i um, be doing that my last one. And, you know, um, it's by God's grace that we are what we are and we have what we have you know uh you know all of our daughters names start with J. you know you know how hard it is to name kids have you ever gone through that you know it just happened with our first two jessica and jacqueline that they began with J's. my wife was pregnant with a third one and you know she was coming up with some other name and we had a fellow in the church his name was greg and and he said oh man he goes my two older brothers, both their names started with M, and mine started with a G. I always felt left out. It's like, <laughs> as, as if there's not enough pressure naming your kids already, and now we got to stick with alliteration. Uh, it just <laughs> narrowed the field, and, and so we stuck with it. And uh, my wife's the janitor, and I'm the judge. Uh, and so uh, you know, all that works out pretty well for us. Uh, well, uh, or sometimes I'm the janitor and she's the judge, but uh, it's all it's all a J. But you know, in, when it comes to our relationships, our marriage relationship, any relationship that we had, you know, you can look today and there's a number of good books written. But you know, generation after generation, God's instructions have never changed. Right. That's right. You know, we can have, and I've got lots and lots of books on a lot of different subjects. But God's instructions, in the midst of all the things that have ever been written, God's instructions to us have never changed. That's right. The basics have never changed. The Word of God clearly articulates for us what the expectation is. And, and, and over these next couple of days, I want us to get back to some basic, understanding some basic application you know solomon said that there's nothing new under the sun yeah, that's right that's right but you know that we're still looking for it yeah. you know i don't know if you if you're a pastor or if you teach or you do any kind of uh bible study and and maybe uh maybe uh, you're a lay person in the church and and your pastor or pastor's wife says hey i want you to do a devotional and it's like oh i need to find something new and fresh i need to find i gotta find just that right thing that's really gonna you know really gonna stand out yeah. you know what god promised to honor is his word yeah, that's right. and his word what impacts us for life his word in fact look over romans chapter 3 if you will uh some familiar verses here um But Romans chapter 3, and and this is, we're just going to step off here uh, for the beginning of this conference, but Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Well, we need a good salvation message for a couples retreat, right? (laughs) We may, we may, I don't know. But you know what this tells me here? All have sinned. There's none righteous. Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. You know what this tells me? That we're all in the same mess together. We're all in the same mess. But you know oftentimes what we try to do? we We try to appear or at least make it seem like somebody else is in a worse mess than I am somebody else's mess is worse than mine somebody else's sin is much more egregious and and much more of an affront against god than my sin is and that affects our relationships it it, it affects our outlook but we're all if we can grasp we're all in the same mess together it doesn't matter if we uh, feel better about our mess versus somebody else's mess in God's eyes, we're all sinners. Yep, right. It doesn't matter if, if I say, well, that sin is way worse than my sin. It's sin. That's right. And it's not about a comparison one against the other. It's a comparison against our holy God and His instructions that He's given to us and the hope and help that He's made available to us through His Word. You know, there's uh, three reasons we deal with, you know, people struggle to get along with people. We struggle as siblings. We struggle in marriages. We struggle as teammates. We struggle as co workers. We struggle as neighbors. We struggle as countries. People struggle with people. But you can boil it down into three categories. Uh, The first category is uh, what we call amorality, no morality. You know, man uh, has no moral fiber, and it means that man has no absolute moral or ethical standard to regulate his behavior. Man, left to himself, has no moral foundation. Uh, Anonymity. Man does not know who he is or why he is here. His life has no meaning as far as he can see, and he believes it's up to him to find or to make meaning out of his life. I'm anonymous, and so if I'm going to stand out, if I'm going to accomplish something, if something right is going to happen, it's only going to happen in my strength, in my ability, in my what I'm going to do, so that I'm no longer anonymous. An alienation the fall alienated man from God, from himself, and other people. And so, uh, when it comes to no morality, apart from God, there's no absolute moral standard, and men are doomed to moral relativism and situational ethics. And so we we see that uh, crime and sexual perversion, uh, no respect for life, circumstances dictate what society is going to determine as the moral expectancy. I've told our folks for years. I said, you know, we keep thinking that things can't get worse and worse, even though in 2 Timothy chapter 3, God said that things are going to get worse and worse, not better and better. And I said, you know, think about those of us that have been around for more than a decade or two, and we think of the, the things in society. There's no way that'll ever become mainstream. There's no way the homosexual agenda will become mainstream. What's next? Because there's no morality in mankind. Apart from God, there's no morality. Apart from God, uh, there's anonymity. Man focuses on anonymity or the emptiness, and he's trapped in an impersonal universe. He seems to be nothing more than a chance coagulation of matter. Anonymous, came out of nowhere, came out of nothing. And we've got to find meaning for who we are because there's no uh, creator being who's going to give any kind of meaning to who we are. And apart from God, man faces a terrible sense of alienation, estrangement, loneliness. With no one to give meaning or sense to his life and aspirations, he feels alone and isolated because he's alienated. Alienated from God. Alienated from hope. Alienated from acceptance. And mankind... That's where we find mankind because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in our relationships, the only one who has the hope and the help and the answer is God himself. And so with no moral standards, feeling empty and alone, man sees others as a threat to his pursuit of happiness. Man will often retreat even further into selfishness because of his negativism because we see no hope. And then we come together in marriages. And if God hasn't brought the marriage together, two hopeless people are trying to find hope in each other, And if the focus isn't on uh, what God has brought together and pretty soon that person isn't giving me any more hope or help, that person isn't giving me any more meaning, uh, that person uh, isn't accomplishing what is going to make me better, and my voice isn't being heard you want to hear you want to see a simple illustration i don't know at our church we've got a good playground out back and and on wednesday nights or uh, during the summer when the kids are there wednesday nights you know we'll have about a hundred kids there for our our children's program and 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 they're out there and and when the kids are all playing they're all trying to make their voice heard at the same time (laughs) amazing phenomenon I mean, you know, you can have 30 kids and they're all trying to make sure everybody <laughs> sees what they're doing and screaming at their top of their lungs and nobody's paying attention to anybody else. Yeah. But that's the perfect side of, of what we're looking for. We want some meaning for, uh, we want somebody to pay attention and to focus. You know, as a young man, I grew up in a family that there was no religion I had some Catholic family, uh, and, uh, you know, we had kind of an understanding that we were taught as kids that if you did more good than bad, you had a pretty good chance of going to heaven. Well, um, okay. And my mom and dad, uh, you know, they were, uh, uh, you know, unsaved, uh, kind of in the partying crowd. You know, my dad had the best bar in the basement of anybody in the neighborhood. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of things going on. But I remember as a kid, you know, mom and dad would fight and bicker and do different things. And, and, uh, and they would always promise us that, uh, we'd say, are you guys getting a divorce? We will never get a divorce at the same time that they're telling us that santa claus is real and the easter bunny is Uh, did i break anybody sorry sorry if i burst anybody's bubble there but uh and they're 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 telling us that these are and all of a sudden uh when i'm 10 years old uh, my dad was in a bowling league my dad went bowling and and uh never came home three days later my mom gets a phone call that uh, my dad's not coming home he's going to file for a divorce and and, and I said, you know, it, it, we went through that time. I said, it never dawned on me that my dad left my mom. My dad left me. And uh, my dad broke a promise. But even more, he broke a promise to my mom. And he broke a promise that he made. And, you know, my dad, I said, in, in, the, in the town of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, when uh, I said in, uh, if the name Sassock was in the paper, there weren't very many Sasek. we were all related, it was just my grandfather who had come over from Czechoslovakia, and we had a uh, family of Sasak. If the name Sasek was in the newspaper, it was because of my brother and I for sports or my dad for illegal activity. And I promised my mom, as a young man growing up, three months after my dad left, on a side note, my mom's dad died in a car accident. So the two men in her life both were gone, in a three-month period. And so we go through all this, and, and, and I promised my mom, I said, I said, mom, and my dad became involved in drugs and alcohol and that culture, and, and I, I promised my mom, I said, I will not be like dad. I, mom, I, I'm not going to be like dad. But you know, I tell young people all the time, I said, what you focus on is what you're going to do. Right. If you focus on what you're not going to do, that's what you're going to do. Where your focus is at is where you're going to be focused of doing. And I focused on what I wasn't going to, I'm not gonna do that, and, and, but it wasn't long. And as a youngster, I was doing exactly what my dad had done. I was following in the culture, and at the same time having success in um, uh, all, all kinds of, of, of things. My mom's brother, my uncle, became a very immoral influence to my brother. Now, he was like a big brother, an immoral big brother, and drug us into a lifestyle of things that were not, uh, were not good. At the same time, similar, my wife and I married an older woman. She's three months older than me. Uh, and, uh, yeah, when we turn 60, I get three months of mileage out of that one. <laughs> But my wife, her uh, family grew up on a dairy farm, uh, you know, multiple generations of dairy farmers in Wisconsin. And her dad, who very committed Lutherans, uh, he actually got saved li- listening to a Baptist preacher on the radio uh, while he's out milking the cows. And uh, he um, uh, got saved, and, and they started to go to a, a church and uh, surrender to the ministry, and ended up going to Maranatha Baptist Bible College up in Wisconsin. And so my wife in the third grade, uh, they moved there and she grew up uh, on Maranatha's campus uh, and got saved. And she was there in, in high school and then into college. Well, when her parents, uh, the Lord called them to the mission field and they left, they left them there in boarding school. Well, you know, my wife had her own emotional, lonely needs that were there. She graduated, uh, moved to Marion, Iowa, uh, my hometown, to um, uh, teach in a Christian school. Well, by this time, I had uh, gone to technical college and uh, had a degree in construction technology, and I was an estimator and a manager of a concrete construction company, and a uh, fellow that we were uh, sharing uh, rent at a house, and uh, he met this girl that was at church, and she had a friend, and wanted to know if I wanted to meet a girl from church. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, you know if your life is gonna be a, a wicked wretch, you wanna make certain that your spouse is righteous. I mean, you know, I'm gonna be wicked, but I, I mean, oh, a, 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 a religious person, well, yeah, that'd make a, that's a great idea yeah I'd love to meet her and then I met her I was like yeah I'd love to see her some more she's beautiful wonderful I mean everything I'm not but she wouldn't date me it was I could go to church and see her so all right I'll go to church (laughs) but the thing was is I was under conviction quite a lot you know at the end it's like you raise your hand and on a Wednesday night, a fellow by the name of Brady, we were having prayer time, and he said, Todd, he, he, was, he and I alone, he said, Todd, wouldn't you like to know for sure that you're going to heaven? And I said, well, sure. He said, okay, I'm going to pray a prayer. You pray exactly what I pray. Okay. He prayed, I prayed. He said, now you're saved. I said, wow, that was easy. I, I mean, I literally felt tingly. I was like, because now, now I didn't need to worry about good and bad. Now I was all set so I can just focus on bad or whatever I choose to focus on. Well, now I did this and went and got baptized the next Sunday and we went through this process. And, and uh, a couple weeks later, I was driving the junior church van and, and uh, that was my discipleship. Well, we started to get more serious. But two people that did not, weren't focusing rightly on God, we came together in an immoral relationship. And we got married in March 1st of 1986, and our first daughter, Jessica, was born July 4th of 1986. People said, oh, you had to get married. No, made a choice to get married. Made a choice to be what we were. But at the time, it... I was still trusting in a prayer that I prayed. And it's like, well, Todd, you know, you've got a horrible example of a dad and everything, so I mean, you know, who would expect you to be a decent husband or dad? I mean, you've got lots of excuses for not being any good. And that's right, I do. And so for two years, uh, two years, we had our second daughter, Jacqueline, in 1988. And by that time, unbeknownst to me, my wife was praying and asking God to do whatever's necessary to get her out of the mess she was in. Because I was back to, you know, I'd hang out with the construction guys and, uh, you know, drink or do whatever. I, was, I would always come up with something on Sundays, uh, let's not go to church, let's go a- anything but that let's find all kinds of things to go and to do and and uh after jacqueline was born her and the kids were up in wisconsin visiting family her she had a lot of unsaved family up there and visiting family and uh so i was out with the guys and i wrapped my truck around a telephone pole um, and i remember that next morning as i got up and my truck is in a c-shape sitting in the driveway and i looked out and i'm sitting on the couch and everything flooded over me and i said I'm just like my dad. I'm doing to my family exactly what my dad did. I mean, I prayed the prayer. What, what's going on? So I made a commitment to go back to church with my wife. Well, her, fan, her, uh, her parents came over from the mission field. We hadn't met yet. Uh, met, And they invited us to go to a camp in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. Man, I've always wanted to go to the Northwoods of Wisconsin. And they invited us to go to this camp, and I didn't know what a family camp was. I didn't know what a Christian camp was. All I knew was Northwoods of Wisconsin and camp, and I had a vision in my mind of what that was going to be. And they invited us to go to Northland Camp and Conference Center to go to a family camp. Okay, you know, I chewed tobacco at the time, and you know, of course you read the thing, what not to bring, and I'm an adult. You're going to tell me what to do and not to do? I'm going to bring my chewing tobacco along and hide it under the seat of my vehicle. I'll show you how mature I am. <laughs> you know, so we go up and, and we're there and, and lots of fun activities at a camp. And there was preaching and, and, and I said, for the first time, I was hearing and seeing differently. And I said, at the end of that week, I stood up there asking for testimonies, and I said, I have no idea what God's doing in my life, but it seems like God's doing something in my heart. And it was at that, it was at that time, I look back now, and uh, you know, when God was really drawing me unto himself, that was 1989. In 19, fast forward to 1991, uh, we were going to a church, Friendship Baptist Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, uh, Pastor Terry Hamilton, some of you know Pax the Pirate, it's his uh, brother, Terry, and uh, we are there and he was challenging the church to memorize Romans chapter six and as we're memorizing Romans chapter 6 and I'm trying to make all these changes in life but I struggled understanding the word of God I, I was struggling with I'm trying to follow biblical principles that they're teaching in church and nothing really made sense and, and Romans chapter 6 said, what shall we say then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound God forbid how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein and I was going over that and I was in my office and usually the radio's going and the phones and contractors and people and everything going on but it's like God put a bubble over me that day and, and I realized that the reason I'm struggling is I trusted in a prayer that I prayed. Yeah. I never trusted Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I never repented and confessed and called upon him. And, and, and that day, you know, I didn't feel any different. No tingly feeling. But I called my wife and I said, hey, I just got saved. She goes, don't you remember with Brady? I said, I remember exactly with Brady. And I just got saved. And I called Pastor Hamilton I said, I need to talk to you. He said, I thought you told me about with Brady. I said, I'm telling you with Brady. I said, I prayed with Brady. And I'm sure it was a wonderful time, but I didn't get saved. <laughs> you know, but that night I went home to read in the, read Scripture. And, and literally, the, the only thing I can describe to you is as I opened up my Bible, it was like I had a brand new book in my hands. What a difference when the Holy Spirit indwells. And, you know, I don't know if God answered my prayer the way my, my wife's prayer, the way she was thinking when she was asking for God to get her out of the mess she was in, even if it meant removing me from the face of the earth. I don't know if she was looking at him, you know, uh, taking away the old man and leaving a new one or just taking the whole thing away. But I was kind of up in the air there for a while. But we'll see how God works this out. And so we go through this, uh, we go through this uh, time. And. God began to work in our hearts and lives. We went to family camp for five summers. And every year, I said, was like a springboard for another year's growth. Uh, Mike's dad, uh, Carl Herbster uh, he came and spoke uh, one year, and God used that to to work in our lives. And after that, I was uh, uh, you know, confessing some things and taking care of stuff and opening up and uh, about you know sin in my own life and and between us and trying to work through things. And you know, and I remember going one year and a fellow by the name of Doctor uh, Vaughn uh, who was uh, over in Greenville, South Carolina, and and uh, that week God used him to strengthen and encourage. and uh, even from the the role of of what a husband's role is supposed to be, and I'll never forget, at the end of that week, he didn't say a word, he just walked by and put his hand and squeezed my shoulder, and uh, here we are 30 years later, and I've never forgot it. just saying, hey, it's okay, God's with you. You know, I remember being in a a service at our church, at Friendship Baptist Church, and Gordon Carpenter, a longtime missionary to Africa, And he's up there, and he got saved at 30, and he's 80 now, and he's a longtime missionary. And and he said, he goes, before we go to our text tonight, he said, I want to take you to what the Lord showed me, my devotions today that that I hadn't seen before. I can't tell you exactly what it was. But you know what I got encouraged by? I said, I don't have to know everything right now. This is a lifelong process. That God is going to continue to teach all the way through. I mean, I wanted to learn a lot because, you know, my wife's family grew up in a Bible college, and you can imagine what it was like for me going and playing Bible trivia with them. That was, that was loads of fun. I mean, yeah, it was like, skip me, I'll be, it's all right. Noah, Noah.
2: You
1: know, we went to we went to family camp our last year, and my wife, having grown up in a Bible college, and she said... Uh, I said, I really think God's taking, you know, calling us to do the ministry, but I, I don't know what he could do with a jerk. <laughs> anywhere in the, in the ministry, I mean, maybe some deep, dark jungle someplace, I, I, I just so nobody would ever know that God saved and used a jerk in the ministry. <laughs> and so we go, and, and she's like, I just, I don't know, we're praying, praying, and so she had this long list of things. Well, if God answers all of these, you know, whoosh, you know, it rolls down the aisle. So, if he answers all of these, then we'll know God's in it. And, and, and we go, and in that week, I mean, every single thing, you know, so we're driving home, and, and, and I mean, everything was in line. We're driving, what do you think? Well, let's pray about it some more. All right. But, you know, those are the beginning days of God really working to unite us in a direction. But you know, here we are, we just celebrated 34 years. Not even close to a perfectly biblical marriage. But we're both in the same mess together. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know, and and the reason why we sin, you know, that we go through this uh, process, uh, you know, of, you know, having, no morality, anonymous and alienated from God. But the new man, when a person becomes a Christian, those three problems should cease. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We're to put off the old man, be renewed in the spirit of our mind, and put on the new person which is renewed in him. But Christianity is not just a personal decision, it's relational. A new man's life is to be lived among others. Jesus taught us that, Paul teaches that in in Philippians. But I want you to turn with me, if you will, to Colossians chapter three, because nowhere should the social aspect of the new man be more evident than in the home. This is our first ministry. You know, I, I don't know, you know how many we have here that uh, are pastors or youth pastors, missionaries. I, I, I know we have some, but our home must be our first ministry. Yeah. Whatever your vocation, your career field is, your first responsibility is your home, That's right, right. is your spouse, is your family. Look at Colossians chapter 3 in verse 10 where uh, Paul tells the church at Colossi, he says, And I've put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free, but Christ is all and in all. "...put on therefore as the elect of God, holy, beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as God forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness." And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then he goes into instructions for husbands and wives. Put off the old be renewed put on the new you know we don't need a new book to explain how to do it yeah, right, amen. we don't need something telling us that how to uh fix my spouse <laughs> you know and i say that because years ago uh, i had a you know in our ministry there in montana I had a had a couple they came to me they were uh, a little older than us, and they'd been married for a number of years. And um, he was a retired uh, fighter pilot and came and, um, uh, to, for counseling. He said, well, we'll try this once. He said, she thought we should meet with you, so we, uh, we're going to meet with you. Well, we met, and um, it was trying to deal with the two of them individually so they'd come together together. And we're going through all kinds of big little principles, but he kept trying to focus on her. Well, they left and only met that one time. And a few weeks later she left, moved back to Oklahoma and uh, come find out he was back and he was gonna move. And so my assistant and I, we went out to try to talk to him and see if we could be a help in anything. And, and he looked at me, he said, he said, you know, I really blame you for this. <laughs> and I said, well, why? He said, I brought my wife to you so you could fix this. And you didn't. I mean, he's dead serious. But you know, sometimes we might not say that. But when it comes to our relationships, we want somebody to fix the other person. We want somebody to take care of what the other person's doing wrong so they'll come in line with the way I want it to be done. While we ourselves fail to come in line with God's expectations. That's right. You know, there's only one person in all of life that we control every decision they make. Yeah. Only one. Yeah. Uh, whether you're a parent with multiple children, there's still only one person that you can control everything they do. And that's ourselves. But you know, so many people spend so much time and energy and effort trying to control and change other people and don't spend near the amount of time trying to bring themselves into conformity with the word of god bring themselves into obedience to bring themselves into the light of his word you know I, i said you know that i killed enough brain cells as a young man that i'm so thankful that god keeps things simple and I said, you know, when you look at the Bible, I said, I, I look at this as my owner's manual. Yeah, good. You know, but because you think about every piece of equipment you ever buy, when you buy it brand new, you use, you might not get it. Uh, but brand new, you're a brand new one. And we buy a brand new piece of equipment, whether your vehicle, your computer, whatever it is, all of them come with an owner's manual. Some are so tiny, you can't read them, but they all come with an owner's manual. And, and all of us, Study the owner's manual so we know how to run that thing, right? I mean, we all, I mean, no. (laughs) Come on now. Yeah, I know some good-natured people save every owner's manual. You've got drawers and files full of owner's manuals that you've never even taken the seal off to open it up to see what's in it. Because after all, we're human and we know how to operate things. You know, us guys, you know, we're gonna put the kids' bicycle together. Right, huh? Who needs the instructions to put the bicycle together? I can get that's a bicycle, how hard can it be? Got two tires, handlebars, and some pedals, and you know, as a last resort, as you know, the tires not turning and the brakes aren't working and the, the <laughs> wheels not going, and as a last resort, what do we look at the well okay, where's the instructions, honey? Oh, that's my wife over there. She's studying them. She goes, oh, well, you got that backwards and that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but you know that we acknowledge God, our creator. God, our creator, wrote an owner's manual that's right. in such a manner that it's impossible that it was written by anybody other than God, even though he used human hands to do it. And he, tell, and he deals with every subject of life. He deals with husband-wife relationships. But do we acknowledge God's way? Or is this in the same pile with the other owner's manuals? Is this just there as a last resort? Well, uh, hey, pastor, you know, we've tried. I mean... Uh, you know, we've gone on vacations and, and I've, we've bought everything that we ever wanted trying to make each other happy and, and we've done all these things and, and nothing, nothing satisfied. Did you have any kind of a miracle prayer you can help us with? Well, yeah, I've got some instructions right here. Yeah, well, you know, right. you know, what do we say? I'm only human. Yeah. Yeah. We're only human. That's why God gave us the instructions. That's right because we're not God but he's given us the other comforter his spirit to guide us to comfort us to lead us to give us help and to give us hope you know through as, as Christians we have a new presence in the spirit of god we have a new purpose in christ we have a new pattern that was set before us husbands love your wives as christ loved the church that's the pattern of love that he's given to us that we love as Christ love and so as born again believers the thankful christian submits to god's word as all uh, word for all of life uh, thankful wives submit in support. Thankful husbands submit in love. Thankful children submit in obedience. Thankful parents submit in authority. But we submit. Submission isn't for somebody else. Right. That's right. Obedience isn't for our kids. Uh, trust isn't for junior church. It's for every one of us. Growing in Christ is for every one of us. And the potential and the needs for growth do not stop as long as we're taking a breath. Just as Gordon Carpenter, that longtime missionary, said, I want to show you something that I hadn't learned yet after 50 years of studying the Bible. I can't tell you how much encouragement I found in that. It's like, I don't have to know it now, but I have to know something now. You know, I encourage our folks, I said, when it comes to Bible study and reading, focus on quality over quantity. Yeah. You know, I, I hope that you try to read through the Bible in however long a period of time. But when you're having devotions, if you focus on one verse a week, you're going to get way more out of that than mindlessly just skimming over words. Sure. You know, the proverb a day. You know, proverbs are uh, numbered very much like our calendar. so it's, it's hard to get lost as long as you know the calendar. And read a proverb a day. And ask God for wisdom. Help me, something, help me have something, Lord, today to take. Help us have something to apply. And in our relationships, I want you to close with Hebrews chapter 4, the importance of the word of god hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 familiar passages here hebrews 4 verse 12 for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharp than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. Let us, therefore, come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When I read this, let us, let us as husband and wife, come together before the throne of grace. To seek help in time of need. Is there ever a time we're not needy of God's help? You know, sometimes we mindlessly go along and think that we've got it all figured out, but we don't. We submit and surrender to His leading and His guiding. Let us come boldly under the throne of grace to seek His help. You know, when I got saved when God began to make a change in our marriage and in our family, it was because of the Word of God. It was because of the Spirit of God. And you know, the only way that the Word of God made a difference and still makes a difference is when we surrendered and submitted to apply it to our lives. Because it doesn't do any good if I know it and don't apply it. You see, I don't know where you're at here. We may have a couple here that you're saying, hey, this is, our, this is our last hurrah. Things just aren't working out. We're going to give this one last thing. We might have some that uh, you, you could get up here and teach the principles of marriage and, 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 and wonderful and everything in between and lots of good examples. Wherever you are in that realm, we all have the same need. One, we're all in the same mess together. We all need the same God. We all need the same surrender and submission. We all need to apply the same word. You know, the blessing for me is I've seen with our kids, you know, it's a joy to have five children. You know, we had our first three, then we're in seminary, uh, you know, under Mike's dad, uh, Carl Herbstrup in Kansas City, and uh, we had our surprise, Julia. Uh, we didn't think we are having any more children, and then suddenly we had another daughter, and uh, she was our surprise. And then when we were down here, uh, we had Jenna, which I affectionately call our shock. uh, (laughs) And that was during the days of Iraq shock and awe. Well, we had surprise and shock, and uh, we uh, were utterly shocked. I remember standing outside the dining hall, Uh, after a ladies' retreat, and and a nice, kindly grandma walked up, and she said, oh, is this your grandbaby? (laughs)
2: No?
1: (laughs) Thank you for that, though. That was a blessing. But you know, the blessing that I've gotten to see through these years now is that as we sought to apply biblical principles not just in relationship, but in child rearing, and see your children grasp onto those biblical principles, yeah. and see the older children then help teach and train and exemplify to the younger children. And that's what we do here. That maybe, you, maybe things have been going great and you got good principles, and oh, well, help somebody else. Yeah, yeah, good. But you know, if you're, if you're having struggles, sometimes it, you, you need somebody else to come alongside and to talk to and to work through some things. Not taking sides because we're all on the same side. Yeah. If you're here and you're born again, God's on your side.
2: That's right.
1: And, and, and what God intends and desires to do is that leaving and cleaving, you know, leave and cleave together. You know, that cleaving is a welding term. You're all familiar with it. You know, but it's like, you know, I said, you know, it's like, you know, here's two people going through time and space, just minding their own business, you know. Will and Shandy just, you know, from Colorado and Houston and just minding their own business. And all of a sudden, they came through and he come to Southland and all of a sudden, oh, there's somebody. Yeah, <laughs> nice.
2: and, you know,
1: and all of a sudden, you know, pretty soon it seemed like they're mindlessly swimming along and all of a sudden, pretty soon, it's like, hey, that one's pretty, you know, look at that one now you're swimming along and all of a sudden uh, the pattern becomes a little more together and and pretty soon it's you know you're coming closer and closer just like in your relationship and whether it was who had who had three dates hallelujah (laughs) but there was some communication there and after a while you're like hey this is going to work out but you know oftentimes though is that we come together And we say, oh, we've got so much interest, we've got so much love, and we're we're ready to come together. But we never allow God to weld us. We don't come together His way. You see, I'm not a welder. I've played with it a little bit. But, you know, a good weld, as I understand it, will hold and the metal will break before a good weld will break. What God put together, no man can pull apart. But what happens if we don't come together according to God's word? We can be swimming along, and it seems like, oh, we're together, we're together. But then all the struggles of life, those wedges of life come in the way. And pretty soon, well, what happened? Oh, you know, we just grew apart. What happened? Oh, you know, the love just wasn't there anymore. Oh, it was whatever. And it's always human-related. But if we do it God's way, well, okay, hey, we're sticking together. Oh, hey, this pitfall's coming. We're going to deal with it God's way. And we're going to go through it God's way. And we're going to go through it together. Oh, we might be beat up a little bit, but we're going to work on this together. And that's what God does. And so I challenge and encourage you, even tonight, maybe there's something that you haven't been talking about. You know, that elephant in the room. You know, side note, did you see the guy in Africa recently just shot an elephant and it fell on him and killed him? A uh, random, I, I know, it's random. It's like, where are you standing so close to the elephant for when you shot it? I mean, I know, but anyway, that's not the elephant in the room I was talking about. But maybe there's something in, in your life, maybe there's something you know you guys have been sidestepping. Take this time while you're away and discuss it. Maybe there's a biblical principle that, uh, that, that you know as a, as a couple that you've not been adhering to. And individually, maybe you've been under conviction. Maybe there's something God's working in one of your lives over, but you haven't talked to the other one about it yet. Hmm. That's what one flesh does. That's right. You know, my right hand and my left hand, they might not always work together, but they always know what the other one's doing. Yeah. They communicate. I encourage you, commit over these next many hours to take advantage, not just the fun activities. You know, that's the blessing of camp. Fun activities, but purpose now, that you as a couple, that there's going to be one spiritual thing that you take from this weekend, that you're going to communicate and purpose to apply to your relationship. Don't wish you were like somebody else or say, I'm glad we're not like somebody else. (laughs) Be who God would have you to be as a husband and wife. And purpose now to make that application. Father, we do thank you and praise you. We rejoice in your goodness. We rejoice in your word. We thank you and praise you for the gift of salvation. I thank you, Father, uh, that you take wretches, you take sinners that in your love, in your perfection, in your pity, that you sent your only begotten Son to be the only satisfaction for our sin. I thank you, Father, for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you, Father, for eternal life. I thank you for reconciliation. I thank you and praise you uh, that you have, for those that have been born again, you've plucked us from the miry clay. You've washed us white as snow. You've set our feet upon the rock and you've put a new song in our mouth. Even praise unto you, our God. And I pray, Father, though, for our couples here. We know as born-again believers what you've done in our lives individually. We know the sin, we know the past, we know the hurts, we know the heartache. But sometimes we can have a higher expectation of obedience and surrender for our spouse than we have for ourselves. And I pray for each of us here tonight that we would be open and honest and attentive to that which you intend to do. Help me and Mike and others to not be a hindrance to the working that you intend to do in hearts and lives through this week. I pray that the activities would be uh, fun and exciting and enjoyable and relaxing. But at the same time, I pray for serious-mindedness, prayerful hearts knit together, strengthened, even as you did for us, a springboard for further growth in their walk and relationship with each other and with you together. We ask and pray if there is one here tonight that's just been going through the motions and has never been born again, I pray that now would be their day of salvation. Whatever the needs are, as you bring them to heart and mind, I pray that we'd be open and attentive, not tucking them away, uh, not reasoning them away, not saying, oh, if we can just get out of here, then we won't have to deal with it. We can go back to the way life is because we know that you intend to give and desire to give victory. We ask and pray that you have been and will continue to be honored and exalted and glorified. And we look forward to seeing how you will do that over these next days.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in his grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.